Want access to richer content and exclusive analysis on the business of sport? Sports Pro Plus is used by experts across the industry to make informed decisions, with two membership tiers offering access to original content, exclusive reports, and a suite of business intelligence tools. Become a member today at sportspromedia.com forward slash subscribe and use the code FCPOD10. That's FCPOD10 at checkout for a 10% discount. The Football Co. Business Podcast. The most creative minds and innovative thinkers in football. Hello and welcome to the Football Code Business Podcast. For today's show, we're bringing you a panel from the World Football Summit Asia, recorded in December 2023. The panel focuses on the strategy behind the acquisition of high-level talent by the Saudi Pro League, as well as the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia's broader football strategy on and off the pitch. Moderated by Football Co.'s own VP of Global Football Partnerships, Andy Jackson, the panel features Carlo Nora, the COO of the Saudi Pro League, Mohamed Aulia, General Manager of Strategic Planning at the KSA Ministry of Sport, Omar Al-Hakim, MD for Liga Serie A in MENA, and Romeo Yozak, Technical Director for Future Falcons at the Saudi Arabian Football Federation. That's enough from me for now. Here's the panel. I'd just like to kick off, obviously, Natalie gave the brief introductions, just to come to each of you in turn, just to give the audience a quick introduction to yourself and, and your role. Should I start? A good morning to all. Thank you for the invitation. It's an amazing event to uh, present uh, Saudi football to the world. Uh, my name is Romy Yozak. I'm a technical director of the Future Falcons program within the Saudi Arabian Football Federation. Carlo? Good morning to you and to everybody. Thank you for having me here. My name is Carlo Nora and I'm the Chief Operating Officer of the Saudi Pro League. Good morning, everyone. I'm very delighted to be here. Hamad Aulia. I am the General Manager of Strategic Planning for the Ministry of Sports. Good morning, everyone. Thanks, Andy. On behalf of Serie A, who I represent today, I'm the head of brand partnerships and uh, business development. Thank you to World Football Summit. And it's an honor for me to share the stage with these gentlemen driving the Saudi football transformation. Fantastic. So look, it is football after all, so I'm going to break this into two halves. I'm going to look at the, uh, the impact on the pitch first, and then we'll look at some of the impact off the pitch, which I think are both equally important parts of the strategy. So... So looking at on-pitch matters, Carlo, I'm going to come to you first. The summer transfer window, over 30, high-profile, big-name international players coming into the Saudi League. And how is the signing of those big-name players? Where does that sit in fulfilling the strategic direction and the global appeal of the Saudi Pro League? Well, it's gone. It was a massive step in delivering on the strategy that was put together. And uh, from the outset the Saudi Pro League was given a set of objectives, the topmost of which was to improve quality on the pitch. So the acquisition of these players has definitely provided us with that. Again, the strategy called for international players to be brought in. Uh, So again, another tick to the box. But most significantly is the impact it's had on one of the other objectives, which is to increase attendances and utilisation of the venue. All of that summed up then had a huge impact on the monetization and commercialization of the league. So we've seen massive uptake in sponsorship as well as in not only the global reach, which we had acquired through Cristiano Ronaldo's acquisition to the league, but uh, with everybody else joining as well, we started to see the needle move on the monetization of that global coverage. Okay. Omar, um, 
And from a Syria our perspective, I mean, I'm, I'm going to show my age a bit here, but I remember a, a similar influx of superstar talent in the 80s and 90s, and which opened up Syria, particularly to a, a global audience, but in the UK, someone like me with Paul Gascoigne and players like that. Um, from your perspective and working for one of the traditional big five leagues in Europe, how do you see the strategy that the Saudi Pro League is adopting? Okay, well, um, as you can see from my name, I come from an Arab family, but I was born and grew up in Italy. So I had, uh, I was lucky to grow up in what was at the time the most beautiful championship in the world. Uh, for almost three decades, we had, uh, Italy was the uh, final destination for all these megastars. I have a very vivid memory when I was maybe seven or eight years old. My father brought me a football of Zico, who back then was in Udinese. So, you know, my father was a Juventus fan. He had Platini. I was a Roma fan. I had Paolo Roberto Falcao. My good friends, they were from Napoli. They had Maradona. We are, each one of us had his own hero. And what I see today in Saudi with my nephews living in between Jeddah and Riyadh, it's the same thing with Neymar, Benzema, Ronaldo. Uh, that passion and enthusiasm is always the same. I think Saudi is doing a great job not only with bringing the megastars, but obviously it's a, the entire ecosystem that is growing at a very, very fast pace. Right, well, we are, I'll come to you from a, from a federation viewpoint. Um, what opportunities does this present from a player development perspective for you? And, and how does this strategy with the, the influx of these players sort of cascade down and deliver a positive impact throughout all levels of the game? As, as everybody knows, the, the principles and conditions of the player development are well researched and done already. Uh, this is a target. It's a big goal. It's a big challenge uh, to have the exit level of the player development set really high, world level set really high. We can compare now probably to the rest of the leagues now closely. However, we got to be careful that the entry level is also being done accurately, timely, and properly. That means we have to start early enough to push from below, to push from below. As you know, a premiership in England is strong, but championship is also strong. So we have to have the level of the development we have to go as early as possible. All the latest uh, uh, structural changes that SUF, together with the ministry, is taking, changing the leagues of the youths, implementing the B League, implementing the structure for the development, is going to be a strong step in order to reach the level of the exit level that Saudi Arabia has now. And we, we were talking quickly off stage before we, we came on. At, at, at what age do the national sort of like programs start? The, the, the national team usually start at the age of 15. However, the pre-selection go even earlier, 14, 13, even 12. General development of the program of the youth should go very early, 7, 8, 9, even younger in some countries. All the grammar schools in the world start at the age of 7, uh, more or less. So we have to be really careful using the time. Uh, when the puberty kicks in, the technical development pretty much slows down. That means whatever we've done up until the puberty, in that part of the development, pretty much we've done everything. So we have to use the time from 8 to 16 uh, to actually increase the development of technique. However, we have one big luck that Saudi Arabia has a talent. It's a nation with a good culture, with a talented culture. So we have a good pole position. We have a good starting point. However, 16, 17, when the competition starts, we have to reach really, really strong in order to catch up with the, with the guys playing in the Saudi Pro League. Mohammed, I'll come to you now from a, from a Ministry of Sport um, perspective. But how do you, how do you see the Ministry's role in the the formulation, execution, and support of this strategy? 
maybe to answer this, uh, maybe I take a step back and really define what the ministry does. So essentially our core mandate is to orchestrate, regulate, and most importantly, enable. So football is a huge sport. With uh, We're born watching football. We uh, Yesterday was a full stadium uh, watching the uh, kickoff for the FIFA Club World Cup. So essentially, as we you know, view these strategies and really pinpoint on the word enable, we're trying to create the right framework. One, to ensure we continue growing the league, the sport, and most importantly, set ambitious targets, measured KPIs so we can drive towards them. And we see this, for example, with the uh, initial privatization of clubs. I think we've done our first pilot and we continue to roll out. working towards uh, improving federations, especially in football, empowering women in football. And uh, maybe a last example could be uh, working on creating the right governance and institutionalization of clubs. Right. Um, Carlo, in in addition to the the superstar imports, I think one of the the notable things about the Stadium Pro League as well is the fact that you know, the, pretty much the entire national team squad still plays domestically in the league. Um, how important is that to maintain that balance for the Saudi Pro League's objectives domestically as well as internationally? That the best local talent is also here. It is absolutely critical. I mean, what, what we're doing here is providing a pathway, a, an improved platform for the national players by having them rub shoulders with the foreign players that come in. And going back to what Romeo was saying, it, our strategy is not just to acquire players, it's a player development strategy. Bringing in the top end can only rub off on what happens as you work your way towards the uh, grassroots and the age groups. So it's essential that we provide opportunities for the Taudi players as much as we do for anybody else. Uh, so our strategy links both ends and we have to work with the entire ecosystem to ensure that the professional layer at the very top is supported by everything that comes below it. Yeah. So providing those op- opportunities are absolutely critical for the Saudi players. And also I guess it's still important for, for, for young Saudis that are growing up and, t- and participating, and, and this will bring me to, to Romeo next, that they still see their heroes and their local heroes as well as the international superstars. From an aspirational point of view. No, of course. I mean, the that aspiration element was critical to the strategy as well. It's meeting the lofty goals that have been set for us by the leadership of the country, led by the ministry, uh, was to improve that quality. So the, the watermark for quality has moved up tremendously by the acquisition of those players. And uh, we've taken steps as well. For example, the lowering of the professional age from 18 to 16 is to provide greater exposure for the younger talent to be able to to share a pitch with the high quality that we have brought in from overseas. But essentially, that's why we're doing all of this, to ensure that the talent pathway continues to grow at a much better quality than it had been before, albeit that it wasn't bad at all. You know, uh, Saudi is... Under AFC under-23 champions without conceding a goal. Our clubs have participated in four of the last five AFC Champions League. The national team has participated in numerous World Cups, I think six out of the last eight. So we're just building on the quality and the passion 
that exists in the country at a participation level, but equally from a viewership and other types of consumption of the sport. Great. So, Robert, I'll come to you on that. So, obviously important from your perspective that the Saudi Pro League continues to offer that pathway for the emerging young Saudi talent. And, you know, do you see a day when Saudi players might be in demand and be tempted away by some of the, the, the traditional big clubs? Is that... You know, we all... Uh... One of the one of the core answers to all these questions is objective quality. If there's a quality within the X Y Z player, of course there's a demand. Right now, within the future of the Alcas program, uh, we have a primary goal to uh, detect players to take them to Europe at the ages, at the early ages, 18, 19, 20, because we can't sign them in Europe objectively earlier, and then place them. So far, in the future of Alcas, we've already had more than 120 tryouts at the clubs, we had uh, more than 220 players developed through the program. We signed 38 players in European clubs in the in the mid ages. There's a demand. There, well, demand is maybe a strong word. However, there's a possibility for them to play. So far, we have one player. He's a under 20 national team player. Uh, he's he's playing a serious. These guys are using the existing structure in Europe already to overcome some obstacles uh, in the development because the league is getting stronger and stronger. The way I see it in, in the near future, probably the the, B, the, uh, the the first division, the second tier in Saudi Arabia is going to be probably the the level where most of the players are going to be developing in order to reach the top. And 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 for the for the young players in your in your programs, you know, seeing players like Ronaldo close to hand, week in, week out, can only help with their development. I'm understanding of what it takes to get to the absolute It's It's, it's huge, it's huge. Also, not only seeing them face in, in live when you see the game, however, the media is transmitting the the information, what it takes to be the player on that level. So everything Ronaldo does uh, to sacrifice, to actually do as a professional in order to get that level, it helps us huge in the development of the players. And Mohamed, from, from, from the ministry perspective, where... It, obviously, your view is to take that holistic view of, of, of sport in the kingdom. Where does a successful and thriving local league fit into that? I think if we th- think about it, uh, I mean, when we look at you know a successful league that is complemented with a lot of uh, activations, interventions when it comes to ensuring we have uh, the right programming, the right uh, infrastructure facilities, public pitches, uh, like Carlo mentioned, uh, ensuring that we have programs for pathways, grassroots, amplifying mass, smart, mass participation. But beyond that, we look at it from a socioeconomic lens. It's a job generator. We have big targets to uh, unlock a big number of jobs by 2030. Uh, on top of that, there is a clear link to commercial revenues and uh, GDP contribution. So while a successful league is a good thing, it comes with a lot of positive externalities around it. That's a great point. Um, Omar, from obviously, you know, we're talking a lot about Saudi Crowley, but you're, you're here um, representing Syria A in the region. So where do you see the opportunity and the space for Syria A to play in Saudi Arabia? And how do you plan on engaging those fans and, and sitting alongside the domestic league? Right. Well, you know, as Serie A, we want to be part of this transformation. We are the first league that uh, held its Super Cup right here in Jeddah some six or seven years ago. We will play four of the next six Super Cups in, in the region. It is a strategic uh, market for us. 
We are working on several different verticals since we opened our office almost a year ago. We are launching, uh, from the brand awareness point of view, we're launching a new talent show uh, that's going to be televised in six episodes. Uh, some 5,000 youth uh, players are being scouted. Uh, one of them, they're scouted between Saudi, UAE, Morocco, and Egypt. One of them will win the opportunity to play in Serie A in a youth football team. Uh, we are about to launch our uh, first official Serie A academy, and it will be in the region. Um, our strategy is a strategy of uh, localization and being actively present on the ground. Right. Obviously, the last World Cup was a, was a fantastic platform to showcase the passion of, uh, of Saudi fans to the world with a famous victory over Argentina. And, and what was striking is that young Saudi football fans look pretty much like young football fans everywhere all over the world, passionate, knowledgeable, um, engaging. Carlo, the, the role that football generally and the Pro League can have in growing the appeal amongst international fans to visit Saudi Arabia. We've got the Club World Cup here. We'll see fans from a, from a number of continents and, and following their teams here. Do you see that part of your strategy as well is to make the Saudi Pro League uh, a place where international fans want to come and visit and, and take in a game? Definitely. Uh, Mohammed alluded to it already. Um, the love and the passion for the sport in this country should make it a net contributor to GDP. It shouldn't be costing the government any money. Uh, we're quite fortunate to have a leadership that's willing to support us to get to the other end of this journey where football can stand on its own commercial feet. Uh, part of that is definitely all of the uh, economic benefits that come along with it, especially tourism. And we're seeing some tremendous demand from outside the country for match tickets. And we're busy trying to sort that out so we can fulfill that demand. Uh, from far-off places like Indonesia, for example, which has quite a considerable inbound traffic uh, around Umrah that would like to have tickets packaged along with it. So the the attention, the focus that the new incarnation of the SPL has brought all of that attention with it, and it's definitely a driver for traffic into the country. And we're quite proud that there is a national product that... Um, has such demand. I say, I, I, two weeks ago watching the uh, the Riyadh derby uh, in London, I, I would certainly wish that I was in the stadium watching it because it was a, it was a fantastic spectacle. And Romeo, just just quickly before we leave the on pitch, bit, um, for young aspiring talent in your program, kids that are 10, 11, 12 now, the prospect of potentially a World Cup in Saudi Arabia in 10 years' time must be just an incredible motivation and target for them. You know, how, how do you bottle that up in, for the young players there who might be in contention for a national team place? I mean, even even people, uh, I'm sure, know that. But we've we just to confirm, uh, we've, done, we've done analysis of the last five World Cups of the age, of the average age of the teams winning it. So going to Qatar, Russia, Brazil, South Africa, and, and Germany, we've analyzed the average age of the top three teams in all these respective World Cups. And it's between 25 and 29. So we got to aim strategically, we got to aim to reach and have the majority of the squad of the national team that's going to be 26, 27, 28. Why? Because they're still young enough, they're old enough, they're experienced enough, they're hungry enough. When I say hungry, motivating. Huh? They're still uh, on the top level of the performance in order to deliver the expectations. Those kids are now 17. Yeah. 
They're now 18. They're now 16. So next year, we're going to bring to Europe, to our training camp in, in Spain, we're going to bring the U16, uh, 2009 players that are going to be, well, they're going to be 27, 26 in 2034. We're going to use the partnerships we have, the clubs in Europe. And here we have Mr. Federico Cerombini. He is a director of football staff Juventus. We partnered up with the biggest clubs in Europe in order to use each other in a positive way for them to compete against our players that are top-level players. So competing against Juventus U16, against Manchester United, against, uh, we're going to raise the level and push it towards up. This is the idea to actually use that 10-year time in order to reach the best quality and age for the World Cup. Fantastic. Um, we'll move on to off-pitch now and look at more some of the, the, the off-pitch impact. Um, certainly on goal, which is our, our number one flagship global international football website, we've seen a 6,000% increase year on year on consumption of Saudi Pro League content, which is pretty phenomenal. And in, in the first two months of the season, we saw over 14 million people outside of the kingdom viewing Saudi Pro League content on our cha- on, and that's just on our website, let alone social media, which would be hundreds of millions more. Carla, did you imagine that the impact would be that immediate? You know, and how are you turning that into a commercial benefit through both broadcast and sponsorship? We didn't envision the impact to be as big as it was. It was certainly expected, given the type of investments that we were making into the league. But uh, we're very pleasantly surprised with the numbers that you've just mentioned, and that multiplies across our own and operated platforms as well as everybody else's. So, tremendous impact, and we're beginning now to see how monetization against those eyeballs and that interest is growing as well through the sponsorship commercial program that we've got, as well as the uh, international broadcast. Unfortunately, we're already we were already into the second season of our three-year regional broadcast cycle, so we won't see that step up until yeah. the end of next season. But undoubtedly, if we continue this trajectory will have a massive commercial, social uh, viewership impact on the, the product. And similarly, with, with a, from a sponsorship perspective, the next sort of step would be to, to global sponsors of the league activating on a global basis. Definitely. But look, it's again, small incremental steps that we have to take this uh, along this journey. I think people forget that with all these numbers you mentioned, we're still only six months old in this incarnation, right? So we are where the J-League was in 93 or the MLS was in 96, 97 and great progress in a very short period of time. But we can't go from almost a zero start to where we could potentially be in one half of a season. So the next step for us is to look at the next commercial cycle and how we interpret what the fans really want and how we can deliver that for them. And the beauty about where we sit today is we're not shackled by football history or tradition, virtually a clean canvas that we can paint whatever we would like on. And uh, hopefully we can be as innovative as we should be because we have to recognize that to really deliver on the objectives that have been set for us, commercially especially, uh, we have to accept that we are no longer an organizer of a competition, but we are more a content production, almost a media company. And with that hat on, uh, the vision for the world is very different. And we've got to tackle it through that perspective. 
Yeah. Mm. And Mohammed, for, for the ministry's perspective on that, how important is that global recognition and reputation and interest from international fans from, from your perspective? And how do you look to capitalise on that heightened international interest and audience? I think, uh, I mean, if we refer back to our North Star Vision 2030, we have very uh, ambitious targets, one of which is the 100 million tourists. The league is one of the beacons that shed lights on the transformation that is taking place in Saudi. So it could be a potential gateway for cultural exchange. It could be a good gateway for uh, discussing investment opportunities uh, within Saudi, improving private sector contribution. I mean, the opportunities are, uh, I mean, endless on how we can maximize a expanding league uh, uh, and, and, and sort of the growth of interest uh, within fans. But that also puts on our shoulders a, uh, a big mandate to ensure that we improve fan experience within Saudi and globally by, uh, like Carlo mentioned, ensuring that we have very strong content. Uh, we are, you know, ensuring that we are tailoring our approach to different audiences and ensuring we continue expanding the love of football. Omar, um, so how have you viewed that sort of emergence of the Saudi Pro League into the global consciousness of football fans and, and, and more specifically in Italy, have you seen it start to get yeah. traction in Italy? Yeah, first of all, I would like to add another point to what Romeo was saying. Uh, a very important thing that we saw in Italy back in, in the, the good days is uh, not only bringing the megastars, it's actually cultivating your own megastars so with Saudi embracing this project that would probably peak in 2034, uh, the grassroots are a crucial part. We, besides bringing uh, the big players from abroad, we were growing our own, like uh, Nesta, Maldini, Totti, these all grew Baggio, they all grow from the grassroots. To go back to, to, your, to your question, um, in Italy, now SPL obviously is televised everywhere, in Italy as well, after a beginning uh, skepticism, uh, you know, about all this big spending. Things are now changing, but I still think it's going to take some time. You know, we Italians were a bit more conservative, so uh, but it's it's going to happen. It's inevitable. Um, well, coming back to you from a from a young player's perspective, obviously Cristiano Ronaldo, renowned for his on pitch achievements, but also off pitch is the the most followed person in the world, let alone football player on Instagram, it, social media's role in players, their development, it is impossible to ignore now. So, and, and the, the, the heightened media attention globally that comes with that. Are you using that as a learning opportunity for young players in the national setup as well? Like the, the off-pitch demands of becoming successful and obviously as they then break into their domestic league, which is then one of the top five leagues in the world, comes scrutiny, you know, and are you using that as a learning opportunity to prepare them? I mean, the, uh, the social networks and social media is creating one, uh, one phenomenon which, is, uh, which you cannot even touch, and that is a pressure. Yeah. So how do you create a pressure is something what, what is just unexplainable. To somebody is, to somebody is not. So social media is creating uh, in our young players the awareness that Saudi Arabian national team player is not as it used to be in the past. So it's been more open uh, when the national team comes and play. It's completely different. So, uh, for example, when you have a player at the age of 12, 
he's delivering, he's performing. However, we need to teach them to deliver and perform when it matters, when it counts, when it's serious, when it's, and that's when the SPL comes in. So we have to teach him uh, in order to develop them properly, to develop under pressure. And social awareness is creating a pressure of the Saudi young football talent, helping us in order to put extra pressure on their back to develop properly. Okay. So sort of create those diamonds. Exactly. exactly. Carlo, obviously, you know, from a league perspective, one of the benefits of, of bringing players like Cristiano, Karim Benzema, is that huge social following. And we saw the numbers that migrated to Al Nasser's to follow Al Nasser, and that catapults the clubs into a, into a different dimension. Um, how do you see that as, as strengthening the league's position domestically and internationally? And how, how, do you, you know, how do you tap into that for the period of time when they're playing in the league? How do you make sure that that's not just a, a transient following and converts into long-term fandom for the league? Well, it, it works in our favour at the moment because they are incoming players and they bring their audiences along with us. And that's something that we recognised as part of the strategy as well. We need to bring in these players, not only because of what they do on the pitch, but what they can do off it as well for us, which goes back to the second half of this session. right? So it's, it's absolutely imperative that we recognise how we can reach audiences these days. And it, the, the old traditional media model of getting eyeballs through broadcasters around the world uh, is changing, has changed considerably. And now we aggregate audiences through multiple platforms. And again, there was a phase when it was only our own platforms that counted. But now we recognize that through the audiences that come with the players, we can multiply immeasurably almost the reach of our product. And it's uh, essential that we put that to good use to deliver this phase of our growth, which is essentially a reach phase of the journey. And I cannot emphasize how important it has been for us to reach not only the core football fans, but to reach much wider than that. And that is also part of our strategy because uh, the days of 90 minutes of football on a weekend are gone. We've got to fill in the gap in between with content that appeals to a huge cross-section of uh, demographics. And part of our ongoing strategy is how, how much content can we deliver to get to the furthest person out who has absolutely no interest in football, but has an interest in the player and the player's lifestyle. And those are audiences that in the past we never used to capture, but now are not necessarily focal point for us, but they are not an audience that we can ignore. Yeah. It's an interesting point. I can't, it, it, we've just done some, some research looking at it to the Euros. And one of the, 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 the data points that came out of that, that, that surprised me, which didn't surprise me, but it was interesting to see it, was that 40% of fans said that not watching a live game of the Euros would not diminish their enjoyment of the tournament. You know, so... It's not about the fact that football fans, the interest in football amongst young fans is disappearing. It's just that it's changing, you know, and it's not necessarily, as you say, just about the 90 minutes. It's about everything that goes on around it. So Omar, from coming to you from, from, a, from a Syria A perspective, how are you addressing that new breed of fan for whom the live broadcast is, is not the central focus or fundamental to their enjoyment of the sport and to... Carlo's point going beyond the on-pitch 90 minutes to everything that sits around football now. No, 100%. Uh, 
I mean, the way the new generations, they consume the football product is much different than ours. We, for us, it's always been pizza, friends, and the 90 minutes game. For I can hardly keep my kid watching the game for 90 minutes. Uh, they need to be, to receive a different stimulus. They need to be engaged differently. And in addition to that, they have always access to a tablet or to a phone. So uh, social media is a is a is a part of their life. So we need to engage them during the week, and that is one of our focal strategy in the region. We are focusing a lot on uh, on all the social medias. We have just launched uh, less than a month ago our new Arabic TikTok channel, which is actually uh, growing exponentially. So I believe that is uh, that is the way of continuous engagement with just new generations. Hey, Mohammed, um. Another piece of research that we did earlier in the year into Gen Z and their engagement with football, one of the striking things that came out of that, because Saudi Arabia was one of the markets that we surveyed, was the high participation rate like, of not just watching football and being interested in football, but playing football at, at any level from social up to organised football. And it far outstripped Europe and, uh, and youngsters in Europe, which was quite surprising. I mean, how important is that, the, 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 the trickle effect down means that this can help and you know engage and motivate just active participation in football not necessarily to end up in a national team program but just for the health benefits and social benefits of that um both amongst young boys and and young girls and that halo effect that cascades down and just motivates people to pick up a ball and go and play how important is that for you uh i mean extremely important as we think about our national sports ambitions beyond football across sports Mass participation is a key, key pillar. And if I zoom into football, football is the most, uh, in terms of uh, passion, uh, fellowship, etc. Football, uh, I mean, for Saudi is life. So we need to ensure that we are enabling it as a ministry uh, by expanding the number of uh, coaches, by improving accessibility to ensure that across Saudi in every region, the distance to a pitch is very close and not only focusing on uh, boys, but also making sure that we have diversity and inclusion to allow everyone to play football. So our view is across the next 10 years, how can we expand the number of clubs, expand the number of coaches, uh, bring the top academies to Saudi and ensure that we have pathways from mass participation to talent development and all the way to uh, playing in the national sports team. Fantastic. Look, we've got time for, for one final question and I'll, I'm going to address the same similar question to each of you. We've just spent the last 35, 40 minutes discussing the benefits of the international superstars gracing the domestic league. I want to look ahead to uh, the potential of a World Cup coming to Saudi Arabia in 2034 when the best players in the world would come here for a months-long festival of football. And, and where you'd see the domestic league by this point, if, if indeed the bid is won. Carlo, I mean, where's the Saudi Pro League at that point, you know, in 10 years' time? Um, and what would hosting a World Cup mean for the next phase of the league's development? I love prediction questions. So is it anywhere? We certainly hope to be far evolved from where we stand today. 10 years is a long time. And with the ambitions and aspirations that we have, we certainly wish to be much higher up the uh, 
ladder league rankings than where we stand today. But most significantly is to be one of the more entertaining leagues in the world that's being watched the world over. Um, that's about the, the best way to quantify it right now. But the World Cup is a huge uh, undertaking and for us will be a massive tentpole event to uh, aspire to uh, deliver a league and a set of players that can make the country proud. However, it is a transient point in time. It kind of sets us up for the next 50 years. And it's essential that between now and then, we build a sustainable property that will completely outlast the World Cup in 2034, which will be a high point in the history of football in the country. But we need to survive well beyond that as well. Thank you. Omar, from your point of that, that in that 10-year period, you know, where would you like to see Syria and Italian football forge deeper bonds in the kingdom? Um, where, where do you see the opportunity for you in the next yeah. 10 years? Well, within we want to bring Serie A back to where it belongs. Uh, so within this uh, strategy of expansion outside of the Italian territory, we opened an office in New York. Less than a year ago, we opened here in the MENA region. Singapore will follow shortly. And I can anticipate we'll open also here in Riyadh. I often go visit my friend, Carlo Nora. I bring coffee, he brings Manaish. And we discuss about potential cooperation between the Saudi Pro League and the Serie A. And there are many points of, uh, of common interest. Um, the way we see it is our strategy, it's a 360 degrees one, from the grassroots to the Lega Serie A Academy, to the talent show and, um, and brand awareness, uh, to being present on the ground with officers, with games. What I would like to, to see is having more Italian clubs coming to the region also for friendly matches or tournaments and vice versa, having Saudi teams go to Italy. Uh, we believe this holistic approach is, is the right one. Right. Romeo, could be obviously, I mean, we touched on the, 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 that as a, as a North Star for the, for the young players, but what's the potential for, for the young Saudi players currently in the national team set up over the next decade, do you think? Potential is great. Uh, Saudi is a talented nation, uh, really, really some serious young talent. Uh, I just one, one more time would like to emphasize, imagine the opening match in the 2034 ceremony, you know, the national team squad, the whole world is watching, already speaking about it now, 10 years ahead of time. In order to uh, reveal that pressure that these guys are going to have, they have to, we at this point now, uh, they have to try to teach them to play in a, in a level of the self-confidence. Why? Because when there's a self-confidence in any activity, the heart beats lower, the performance stabilizes, the delivery gets better. So it's all about being self-confident, achieving certain activity. In order to do so, uh, we cannot expect they're going to play in against opening match against Spain or whatever and do well unless we, 10 years before that, play these guys already. So, for example, next, uh, I'm going to reveal a bit of a secret. Next, in 10 days, the U18s, the future Falcons U18s are playing Juventus U18s on the Allianz Arena of the main stadium of, of Interino. That means, imagine 10 years before, you already play. Of course, the stadium is not going to be full because they're U18s. But the level of the, uh, the atmosphere for them to already play these guys on that level 10 years before is going to help them in a 10-year in a time. The same thing with the World Cups, the same thing with the U20 World Cups, everything we need to have. We have amazing uh, provider, Al-Masafir, that is uh, giving us all the options in Europe to play any teams we need to play and want. That means we want to prepare them to be able to play on that level in 2034. 
Great. And Mohammed, I, I, I want to give you the last word. From a, from a ministry perspective, where would you like to see the Saudi Pro League? What are your hopes and, and dreams for where the Saudi Pro League might be in 10 years' time? Uh, I agree with all points uh, mentioned, first of all. And I think this is not a stunt. This is a plan with very, uh, you know, longevity. Uh, we want the sustainability there. But that means over the long run, we want to like, expand viewership. We want uh, to ensure that, you know, it's economically viable and it's generating uh, the right commercial terms. But also, and most important, is fan experience, local and uh, global. How can we continue uh, over the next uh, decade in adopting the relevant technologies, uh, adapting to, uh, you know, trends when it comes to content creation, and I maybe uh, go to what Omar said. I'd love to see SPA, Saudi Pro League offices globally. And uh, Carlo, I, I put pressure on you here, but no pressure, Carlo. It, it would be amazing. Now, not only for this is you know to export SPL uh, to the globe and ensure that we have uh, presence and footprint uh, internationally. Fantastic. Well, that's a that's a great great point to end on. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen. Please put your hands together. Thank you for my panelists today. The Football Co. Business Podcast. The most creative minds and innovative thinkers in football.